Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. The Final Four is set in college basketball. March Madness has certainly been that madness, just as we all predicted with the Final Four. UConn, Miami, Florida Atlantic, and San Diego State. Everybody had that in their bracket. It all went chalk, and we should be in for an exciting matchup on Saturday and, of course, the national championship to follow on Monday. We'll get into all of that for college basketball. Opening day in Major League Baseball kicked off today. Some excitement there. The new pitch clock release, shorter games, and just trying to get through unscathed injury-wise, of course, to get through the remaining days of March and into April. The NBA is winding down with its playoff races. There's excitement all over the place for who's going to get in and how they'll finish off the seasons. Plenty to get into, as always. We apologize for our absence, me working for SiriusXM Big 12 Radio and having to cover all those games for those first couple weeks of the tournament had us on some hiatus. But on the plus side for you listeners, that means you didn't have to hear us fill out our bracket and be completely wrong with all of our picks. So in a way, we saved everybody some money, and people should be thanking us for that because no way were we on board with what's happened to get to where we are in the Final Four, but we're not alone. It's one of those years where things just went completely off the rails. There's definitely contributing factors to that with how NIL has impacted teams, how the transfer portal has impacted teams, how age has impacted teams in a good way. A lot of older teams that have been playing with each other for a long time have made long runs in this tournament, which is something that seemingly happens year after year. It's not a blue blood type of final like it was last year with the likes of North Carolina and Kansas and Duke and Villanova. It's a little bit different. In a way, it's exciting. There were some thrilling games. There were, of course, some disappointing moments, some head scratchers, as there always is, for how teams lost the way they did. But here we are with a potential, arguable blue bud in UConn and three other teams trying to make history by getting to a national championship in general and then winning one. How are you feeling about how the tournament played out so far, where we're at at the Final Four, and the excitement surrounding these games being where it's at a little bit different this year than what we're used to seeing? Well, John, it's great to be back with you and all our fans. Sorry we were gone for so long, and uh, you missed out on my bombastic Final Four selections, of course, none of which made it to Houston, although I actually got close with one team. I, I did have Texas, and it looked like they were in control uh, in the regional finals, but they fell apart down the stretch against Jim Laranagas' Miami team. And here we are, Miami, UConn, who a lot of people picked, uh, who remember Connecticut Connecticut got to a great start this year, was number one in the country, and hit a lull where they lost a series of games in the Big East, and are basically right back where they were. Uh, they finished strong down the stretch and have had a dominant tournament so far and are clearly the team to beat. I thought Texas uh, was a really good team and they look like they're in really good shape. And they fell apart down the stretch against Miami. It's as simple as that. With turnovers, 13-point lead. Uh, they couldn't do it. They couldn't pull it off. They couldn't stay in their offense. And the next thing you know, uh, Miami keeps fighting back and their guards make a bunch of shots. And the Miller kid was fabulous. And that's 
one side of the bracket and the other side of the bracket is a train wreck. I mean, it's as simple as that. You've got Brian Dutcher, San Diego State squad, and we'll talk about their game in a moment, which was, to me, the most disappointing game of the entire tournament, and I'll say why, uh, after I finish up with FAU, who, I mean, who'd have thunk it? Boca Raton, beautiful Boca Raton, five minutes from where uh, my parents bought our little condo that we sold a few years ago is Florida Atlantic University with a up-and-coming football program, a nice little uh, college baseball program, nice facilities. But who to thunk that the 31-3, and three, I believe, Owls of FAU, who a lot of people liked in the second round to potentially upset Purdue, of course, Purdue never got to the second round. Uh, a lot of people liked the Memphis FAU winner to beat Purdue. Well, as usual, Penny Hardaway's squad chokes, and FAU knocks him off. Purdue, unfortunately, had a tough go of it, became the second team to lose to a 16 seed. FAU dodges bullets left and right and wins that regional. And now they will take on San Diego State. And I'm not saying San Diego State doesn't deserve to be there. But you know, what we saw in the regional final was an knockdown, drag out, ugly, physical, brutal college basketball battle. It was refereed to San Diego State's benefit. Nothing wrong with that, but the way the game was refereed, it was body up, a lot of contact, ugliness. It was a battle, guys on the floor constantly, and off of a bad inbounds pass and a steal in the backcourt, layup, we are tied with a few seconds to go, and then unfortunately, the worst moment of the tournament, when... San Diego State in the last possession goes to the basket. Their little guard, uh, left side, little runner in the lane. And by the letter of the law, yes, it was a foul. He grabbed him a little bit and he put his hand on his hip, but it was down on his hip. He got a clear look, a clean runner. It was a miss. And that game deserved to go into overtime for a trip to the Final Four. Instead, one and change, 1.2, everybody stops. Why? Because you heard the biggest fear you have in a game like that. The whistle. The whistle that basically effectively decides the outcome of the game. In a game where they let so much contact go and they let the teams play minute after minute after minute second half no one was even in the bonus no one even in the bonus ultimately they called the seventh team foul and it didn't matter because they called it was obviously a shooting foul and in the way you know if you're going to call those fouls you call them the whole game you don't let players play through that kind of contact and that physical, which is why San Diego State loves to play. And to their credit, they defended and the way that game was called, they were allowed to body, they were allowed to be physical, they were allowed to move guys off their space. But you had guys on the floor, time after time after time, good, hard, clean game. You cannot make that call in a tie game with 1.2 seconds to go, with the final four on the line, you make him, if he knocks him over, if he hammers him on the arm, you protect the shooter. But this is you know, a, a little grab as he goes by and then as he gets up in the air, he's got his hand on, on his side. Didn't affect, the hand, didn't affect the hand, didn't affect the arm, didn't affect the release. Good, clean look. He missed it. He missed it. Play on. You cannot call that there and end 
kids' dreams of a lifetime with 1.2 seconds to go. It was an absolute travesty to make that call in that spot. Was it a foul by the letter of the law? Absolutely. But at that point in that game, the way you called that game, you cannot now make that call. Plain and simple. It is unacceptable officiating to end that game that way. It was the black eye of what has been a terrific NCAA tournament. I agree with you completely. And I know people's argument for a moment like that, like the holding we saw with the Kansas City Chiefs and the game previous to that, where they call the out-of-bounds late hit, and that flag basically doesn't hand them the win, but just about ends the game. People will say, well, if it's a foul early, it's a foul late, you have to call the game the exact same way you rationa- And if that's the rationale they have, my response is, in this game, it was not a foul. That's exactly right. I'm with you 100% if you want to make the argument for a foul a minute in is a foul with a second left. But in that game, that wasn't a foul. That stuff wasn't getting called. And to do it in that moment, heartbreaking for Creighton, especially after the guy misses the first free throw. Right. And you think, oh, my right. goodness. You know, ball don't lie. Here we go. We are going yeah, overtime. Exactly. Ball don't lie. We have hope. But We have hope. He was good to go. And then you run into a discussion now, which is interesting for what you do with 1.2 seconds in today's college basketball, where is it better to try and get a guy maybe around three quarters court for a heave a little bit in front of the half court line? The kids are just shooting now. Like it's not uncommon for that to go in where it was years ago. Nobody's going out there to just practice. Kids are just shooting half-court shots at the end of practice to see who wins contests. Like, this is stuff that happens now. So is that the easier play or the better decision than to just one-arm pass it and kind of hope that you get a tip to somebody? It's interesting to have to work on that now. Of course, he stepped over the line regardless, and then they had a stopwatch out to see how much time was left. I mean, if you're Creighton, how about you just make a damn shot before that? Which, which was also... Which was also an embarrassment. What are they doing all of a sudden? Why, why does a stopwatch come out? <laughs> We've got a stopwatch out. We're not just does going stop, by. Does a, does a stopwatch come out earlier in the game if there's an issue with the clock? This is the first all time of, I've all heard of it. All of a sudden now we're going to go to a stopwatch and then come out and tell us game's over? These guys make complete asses of themselves. It was rough. Complete asses. And I'm not crazy about Coach McDermott. He's a screamer. He's pretty rough. I don't care about screaming at officials, but he's pretty rough on his players during games. I'm not crazy about that, but that's his style, and he's a really good coach. He really did show a lot of class in the postgame. And I don't know if I could have been as professional as he was. You know, he didn't complain about the calls. He didn't complain about the officiating. You know, tough way to lose. Great game. Credit to San Diego State. Those kids left their hearts, you know, on their court. But he didn't complain. He didn't say they got hosed. He didn't say it was an awful call. How do you call that now? Didn't call it the whole game. So I give him a lot of credit for the way he handled it. But that's simply as heartbreaking a way to lose a game of that importance that way when, you know, again, that game needed to go into overtime. The way that game was played and under those circumstances, if you're an official in that situation, you let it go five more minutes and you let the players determine the outcome, not you. You never want a whistle to decide your stake in the NCAA tournament. And unfortunately, it's going to happen all over the place. I mean, Gonzaga got their doors beaten off because they're frauds. And I've been screaming it on this show since we started it. Every year we talk about the tournament that Gonzaga are the biggest frauds in college basketball, and they continue to hold that trophy high, getting beat down by UConn. I will say UConn seemingly looks like the best team in this tournament. 
Shockingly, I had them going to the final four. Part of my thinking was everybody talking about parity for this season and this tournament, and it was wide open, and I thought, you know what? The basketball gods just might do us one better, and we think this is going to be a wide open slate, and instead we're going to end up with Alabama, Houston, the teams that were on top of college basketball making it to the final four. And of course, none of that came close to happening. But UConn beating their doors in is one thing, and I don't think this would have mattered, but Drew Timmy ends up in foul trouble early in the second half. He has to sit. Well, now what? He's the only guy that you've got on Gonzaga. And UConn just kept their foot on the gas, pulled away, and it wasn't even close. They they demolished everybody. Right. I mean, Drew Timmy aside, it wouldn't have mattered. But in that instance, you're a Gonzaga fan thinking, well, now we have no shot. Same for Kansas State. They're in a game that no one expected them to be at, at Madison Square Garden. They've got people from New York playing in the game. Marquise Noel is having a historic tournament run. And his number two guy, Keontae Johnson, plays a total of 18 minutes and fouls out. Now, several of his fouls were incredibly stupid decisions. What are you doing in some of these instances? Trying to take charges, stupid reach-ins. You have to just think in your head, if I get out of the way of this guy and they score two points, I'm still staying in the game, and that's more important to my team than sitting on the bench. But there's always instances, and as fans, we watch our favorite team and think, man, if we can get player X and Y in foul trouble, they don't have enough depth to keep up with us, and you're kind of rooting for the whistle to go your way. But when you're not and you just take a step back and look, calls like that and instances like that and game-deciding decisions just kind of take away from the game, and that becomes the story afterward instead of what was a a thrilling game when it's a back-and-forth battle like it was between San Diego State and Creighton. So you hated to see a game end like that, and then you hate the discussion that comes from every talking head pundit that speaks about sports needs to weigh in on whether or not it was a foul. Would they have called it? I think this way. Well, I think that way. And that became the story for the rest of that evening. So that's kind of how it goes with these games. It was interesting. No, go ahead. Finish. Well, I was just going to go to the other side quickly and say it was interesting to also see a team like Miami get to where it ended up in the final four, because, you know, from the ACC, they could get hot at the right time and have the, talent to just pull away offensively, but in the tournament situation, especially with some of the shooting that we've seen throughout this tournament, they go cold and it's over. Well, you end up beating Houston, kind of shocking them. A lot of people thought Houston was going to make it to Houston and play in the final four. And then they play Texas. Texas is hitting everything. They pull ahead by 13 and you think, well, there's no way Miami is going to be able to come back here. And then they just didn't miss the rest of the game. It felt like. Jordan I Miller goes Christian Leitner. Over at, at 13. Felt like it, right? I thought that game was over. Texas then, stopped scoring. Their offense went cold, and Miami just kept they stopped running. Pushing, they stopped pushing. running their offense. Yeah. They start over-dribbling, and you know, instead of continuing to run their offense with movement and the ball going side to side and in and out, they start playing iso ball dribbling too much they get out of their offense and next thing you know turnover layup turnover free throws miller doesn't miss a shot miller doesn't miss a free throw and remember miller played incredibly well against indiana when they blew out indiana in the second half he has been a tremendously underrated player in this tournament and he's been fabulous and look you can make a very strong argument that Jim Laranaga is the most underrated coach in the country. He's now taken two teams to the Final Four. George Mason, I believe, in 2006. Yep. Now this Miami team is uh, – did, did he turn 80 yet? 73, I believe. 73, 74, and apparently he wants to come back again next season. So here he goes. I, 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 I thought he was older than that. No. Crazy, you isn't sure? it? Look him up. Look him up while we're talking. He's he's the young I, age of, I believe, 73, because that's that's been a talking point of how is okay. this guy still around. He I, I is 73, and, and, yeah. And, and, and also, you know, I love the separated at birth stuff, you know, with uh, 
uh, you know, Robert Ory and Will Smith with, you know, the, the, the other, you know, another favorite obviously is, uh, you know, Rob Palenka and Rob Lowe. Um, you know, I, one of the latest ones to me, I mean, is it me or as they've gotten older, have Jim Beheim and Jim Laranega started to look more and more like each other? It's very true. It's a great comparison. Unfortunately, uh, Coach Laranega uh, has gone a lot farther than uh, than Coach Beheim went this year. He's a young buck to Jim. There's as, a five-year age know, difference he's there. He's just a kid. He's just a kid. He's just a kid. Uh, you know, as my alma mater moves on uh, from Coach Bayheim after 47 years. But it's been a great tournament. It's been incredibly exciting. The Kansas State game last, was it a week ago tonight? Was it, it was last Thursday night. Right. Was an absolute classic. That was a great college basketball game with both teams making plays. And of course the little guard makes the play of the tournament when he has the planned or unplanned or phony or real, whatever <laughs> discussion with the coach just inside half court, the no look lob backdoor lob to Keontae Johnson throws it down over his head, which was the play. It was the play of the tournament, play of the tournament in yeah. an absolutely fabulous college basketball game. That was the game of the tournament for me. There have been lots of others with plenty of upsets, but I absolutely loved that game because it was both teams making plays, shot after shot, uh, no team losing it. You know, one team won it. 98-93, you got the sense that Kansas State somehow just wouldn't miss a big open three, and then you got the sense every time Michigan State drove to the basket, nobody was going to stop them. And it was just a back and forth battle of that. You make a long shot. I'll drive to the basket, maybe get fouled back and forth and back and forth. Absolutely phenomenal for Marquise Noel being from New York to have that type of performance at Madison Square Garden and then follows it up against FAU carrying their ass again, 30 points. And the funny thing of it all, and this is how it always ends up happening, is he's done so much to that point. The game is on the line. You're down three. He gives the You've ball You've got up. the ball. He gives the ball up. He gets switched on to a seven-footer who they had no answer for in Golden. It looked like he had enough space to shoot it over him, which would have just been an epic shot to make or take. Threw it down low for a quick layup. Okay. Now you've got it with six seconds left and the chance to do the same. And the play apparently was drawn up for him to get rid of the ball. And it looked like he had no interest in even considering shooting it. Throws it up for a pass, and it gets bobbled, and the game's over. And you're just and, thinking and to yourself, all, after all after, that, exactly. now you pass it? After all the 30-footers he took in this tournament, some of which you shook your head at, and some of which were nothing but net, banked them in, some of which were like, you, you got to get a better shot than that. This is where you had to take one. You know, you're going to take your chances with that. That's and where you say, that, make or miss, you want yeah. that guy shooting it for you. If it goes yeah. in, he's the hero. And if he misses it, you say, well, you tip your cap because there's no one else I would rather shoot in the ball. And instead, it was, it was so deflating of a moment where they don't even get a shot up. It's like, oh, that's it. So the season's over. Not getting a shot off in those types of situations is simply the most deflating scenario you can possibly imagine. What happened with Michigan State in that game? They have it. They got a chance. They're dribbling around. They pass it. It gets deflected. They don't get a shot. Marquise Noel steals it and gets the garbage time layup, which I'm sure was significant to a lot of folks out there because all points are now in sports gambling. And it, you can put on everything. You know, the bright side of that, of that is that Tom Izzo does not go to the final. That's very true. A hundred percent true because that narrative was coming. Your guy, Al. Here we go. January, February, Izzo. Yeah. Everywhere. For, Here he comes. We're playing, we're playing for the victims. We're playing uh, for the victims, Tom. Rapist is on the bench. He's making the trip. We're playing for the victims. Uh, just as big a phony as there is in the sport. But, and I thought they were going to, 
you think they're going to win that game when it goes to overtime. Absolutely. They're the team, they're the team with all the, the postseason experience. There's Larry Nagus slash Payham. I'm telling you, they're starting to look more and more alike. Um, but it was good to see Kansas State win that game. Uh, Keontae Johnson, a great story, obviously coming back from the heart ailment when you know, he collapsed on the court a couple of years ago for the Gators, and now here he is back with you know, arguably – you know, on the receiving end with the dunk of the play of the tournament. Just crazy disappointment for Kansas State fans. It's hilarious to hear this number that they've been to 14 Elite Eights. Now, obviously, many of those came in the early days of the tournament, back when you were in diapers, 50s and 60s, those types of days. But their last three times in the Elite Eight, when people can remember, they lose to mid-majors. They just can't get over that hump where they come in as, quote-unquote, the better team, the better ranking. This is it. We'll get to the Final Four this time in the last three times. Heartbreaking, obviously. And Yeah, the year that we were – well, to, you know, I, I, I am still a firm believer that maybe the best team, aside from the national championship, not in terms of talent, but – that Jim Beheim ever had in terms of the way they played together was the 2010 group that was number one in the country for a good chunk of the year, lost in the Big East tournament when uh, Anawaku got hurt and he missed the first two games of uh, the NCAA tournament, one of which was a complete dismantling of Arizona State. And that's when I first realized that James Harden was an absolute gagger when you know he did nothing against the two three zone and that Syracuse just ruled them that was the team um that had Anawaku at center big rich Jackson was a, a very large man the rough and tough power forward um they had uh, the transfer his name's escaping me right now who went right into the draft. He keep transferring, had a great season in his uh, junior year. And I'll think of his name before the show is over. And they had the combination at guard of, you know, Trish was a freshman and Andy Routens was the trem- a tremendous three-point shooter. They had Scoop Jardine off the bench. They had um, a very, very deep bench. Uh, they went 9-10 deep. They were loaded with talent and athleticism. They played great together. And Anawaku got hurt. They blew through the first two rounds. They went to the Sweet 16. And Anawaku was still not back. And the last couple minutes against Butler, they had a four-point lead. Scoop Jardine went for a kill shot three. They didn't score again. Uh, Butler outscored him, I think, 10-zip down the stretch. And you know Butler... Stuns him, and then uh, they beat K State in the regional final. We would have beat K State. We were, we were much better than K State. Yeah, we would beat K State without without Anawaku, and then obviously, you know, the uh, the eventual trip to the Final Four and uh, the near upset of your club in the finals when your legendary coach for some reason told his player to miss the free throw. Jesus. Which almost cost him a national. And you know what Jim Nance likes to say about that game, Al, is that it almost went in. The funny thing about that game is if it happens in 2023, there's a, I don't know what the percentages would be, but I would probably say there's a 90% chance Gordon Hayward makes that shot because as mentioned previous, this is where kids are shooting now in practice just for fun. Not to say and, that Gordon Hayden wasn't doing that uh, in general, uh, but that's going in. It's going on, in. On that note, this is uh, the last dance for Jim Nance. That's right. This is his final, final four. Not a moment too soon. Um, with Raph and Grant Hill. Now, do we know if Ian Eagle is taking over? I believe that is who is stepping into his place, yes. And is it going to be Iron Eagle right into that group with Raph and Grant Hill? I haven't heard otherwise. I hope so. I think Raph probably has a lifetime pass for that seat, right? I think they're going to just let him do it until he and, says he and, doesn't want and to. And on that note, and I love Spinarkle, uh, I think he does a great job, and him and Ian are a tremendous combo. 
I was very disappointed in Spinarco saying, hey, you got to protect the shooter. I'm an offensive player. You know, he's going up for the shot. You got to protect the shooter. You got to make that call. It's a foul. Come on. Come on, Jim. You, you know better than that. Show me more than that. You know, can somebody step up? You know, can Gene Sterator, who I love for once, say, I'm not calling that? Is everybody got to take the party line? Can somebody show a little moxie and say, not the time replaced, not the way this game was called? You cannot call that in that spot. You know, play on five more minutes, tie game. I'm not going to decide it. The guy's on the court. Huh? You didn't get any of that during the game. And we had, as par tradition, plenty of time to watch every angle of every shot of the shot because replay and the officials having to go over the table and it took four hours to decide the last 1.2 seconds as it often does now in college basketball. Disappointing. They to say are the least. In, what they do, college officials, with the reviews and the clock, et cetera, is simply an embarrassment. Their constant review of potential flagrants and and one, you know, flagrant ones and hook and hold and which is garbage. And the in, incredible Zapruder-like review for milliseconds it, it, it's just it's comical it's like they're looking for air time and they, they all got to go over and they got to look then they got to walk away that they got to have a conference then they got to call the other one over you know how, how many sets highs you need to figure out okay it should be 25.2 i mean what, what is the problem what is the problem they make a mockery of it it, it, it literally is comical it's tough to watch you know, it's always the same guys. Roger Ayers, all right. It's always the same group. It's always the same tough guys. You know, they got the if they if they wear their jerseys any tighter, their referees' jerseys, the referees' shirts. You know, trying to show off that they're all they're all at hockey league all of a sudden. I mean, come on, man, Jesus. And you've got people supposedly in New York and all over that have all these camera angles. Their main job is to just watch these replays and come to quick decisions. And you've got these officials over at the table with this like dial that they're right. Clicking back and forth, rewinding on, on and a, fast forwarding on a 12 inch screen. What are we doing? There's however many people whose only job is for this. How long does it take for them to radio India? Hey, it's 5.2 seconds, ball out of bounds. Let's go. No, we're flipping this clicker back and forth like we're a kid at the arcade trying to win a prize to see how much time is left and who has possession and who was it off of. My goodness. And then we're reviewing stuff for fouls. The end of the Texas game, Brock Cunningham's boxing out. And his guy jumps up on his back and they blow the whistle. And they're going to follow him out. Okay. It's going to be Texas shooting two with a minute left tie game. This changes everything. They go over and say, ah, we're not really sure we're going to reverse the call. And it's going on Brock Cunningham, Miami, take it to the line. You get to shoot too. Goodness gracious. You just hate to see it at the end of this game. You know, it's coming. You can feel it in your bones that these games are going to be decided at the scorer's table or by the whistle. And it sucks sometimes. Sometimes you'd rather a team just blow somebody out so you don't have to worry about it at the end. Clearly, they're the better team. They're moving on. Thank God we don't have to worry about an official or a replay deciding this thing. That's just where it's at. That's what it's become. Four teams left. I'm sure a lot of people probably wish that the teams were reversed in the bracket so that potentially Miami and UConn can meet in the national championship game. And by people, it's the advertisers for Monday night. But San Diego State plays FAU. Miami plays UConn with a chance to go to the national championship game. Gun to head, I'm just going to go with UConn and FAU to advance. U FAU proven because of their wins this season who they've got on the team that could score after watching that San Diego state Creighton game. I just can't pick them out of principle. And after seeing what UConn did to Gonzaga, that's who I'm picking for that. 
That's my and simple I'm math. Gonna go, I'm going to go in the other direction on both games. I'm going to take the experience of Brian Dutcher and his San Diego squad, San Diego State squad, which are the old guys. They the are guys. old. They've got the 12th year seniors. Um, they are men. They know how to play. Uh, they've been in the tournament a lot of years. Brian Dutcher's got a lot of experience. Remember, he's been Steve Fisher's assistant forever at Michigan. And then obviously, you know, here at San Diego State, took over for him. He's a good guy. Uh, and, you know, I, I didn't have a problem with them winning. I was actually rooting for them. So it's not like I, I had anything rolling on Xavier that I'm so upset about that call. I'm just upset. I, I, I'm upset about the fact I didn't get to see five more minutes of basketball because that was an, an intriguing game and such a physical battle. It was so much fun to watch. Um, but I think, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the coach turns into a pumpkin and it hits midnight for the Owls. I think the San Diego State, San Diego State physicality will help them in this game. Uh, going to be very curious to see how the game is called. That will be incredibly interesting. And I think his experience as a coach will help a lot in terms of keeping his guys under control and um, you know, heads on straight and dealing with the big stage. And they've shown they're very resilient. And they're dynamic defensively. They do a great job on the glass. And I think their physical nature of play will wear FAU down just a little bit. And uh, I think the pressure uh, will be a little bit too much for FAU to handle both from the San Diego State and in terms of their physicality on defense and the pressure of the moment. So I'm going with San Diego State in uh, – that side of the bracket, and I think the Laranaga magic continues. UConn's been dominant, and may, look, maybe they roll through this tournament and just blow everybody out. But you know the old deal. You got to have one where you just – one scare, and maybe that's not the case. Maybe they're not going to have one. Maybe they're just going to be one of the most dominant teams, you know, in the history of this tournament, and, and this is a year for it. Yeah. Because they're not running into any other great teams or – really, really good teams. I mean, Gonzaga was the best team they played. And Gonzaga's, this is not, you know, a vintage Gonzaga team. They're pretty good, uh, but they kicked their ass. I mean, they completely demolished them. I think Miami's A game can beat them. And I'm going to go with Laranaga. I'm going to go with the Miami guards. I'm going to go with Miller and their ability to score from different areas on the floor. UConn's the better team. UConn's deeper. But sooner or later, they got to play an average game. And if they play an average game, Miami's A game can beat UConn's B game. I'm going to take a flyer and say that happens. Probably not. But it, it, it's a little bit ahead and a lot of heart. Because I love Laranaga. Uh, and I can't stand UConn, and I can't stand the Hurley brothers. So there you go. Uh, there, there, there you have it. Simple logic. I'm with you for it. And if you want to go to the Final Four, folks, I mean, your plane ticket to Houston will 100% cost you more than it'd get you into the door at these games. Prices are down to like 44 bucks for single game viewing. You, you can, can go to both games for like 150 you. bucks. You, you know what? Give give Chris Russo a call. Give the man, give our fearless leader, the Hall of Famer, a call, and you can cover some of the freight for his flight. I, I assume he's taking the wheels up or the net jet down there for the Final Four because, as, as most of you know, we're avid listeners to Mad Dog Radio. The Hall of Famer's son uh, is one of the graduate assistants or the graduate assistant at UConn. So, you know, he is going to the final four. I talked to Chris about it today. He is indeed going. I asked him if Timmy gets a championship ring out of this first one for the family. (laughs) 
So he is making the trip supposedly if they win, he is not staying for the finals. But I would be shocked if that were in fact the case. If they win, there is no way he's not going to be there Monday night for his son. No shot. Yeah. So, but you you can defray some of Chris Russo's expenses by you know paying him obviously an exorbitant fee, and you won't have to worry about flying commercial, and you'll offset some of the costs he's incurred for the for the flight down and back. Sounds good to me. They're begging people to go to these games, whereas the other side of the coin in the women's final four, led by Caitlin Clark, who's I mean. There's been a lot of great WNBA players, and I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment and say she's the best one of all time because that's not true. But in today's era of basketball, there's no question that she's at the top of the sport. Well, it's because of the threes. My goodness. Anywhere on the floor, she'll pull It's because of the 30-footers. It's crazy. I mean, Sue Bird didn't shoot 30-footers. Right. Diana Taurasi shot 25-footers, 24-footers, and was a brilliant player. And Candace Parker's not stepping behind Candace the three point Parker line. Candace Parker is an all timer. Cheryl swoops and their undefeated season it was maybe the best season I've ever seen a team have. All of the Tennessee teams of Pat Summit. Oh. And, you know, the latest UConn great player who has, did, did she win player of the year four times? I want to say yes. We could find that out, though. We don't want to be wrong for our UConn fans. How about UConn you know, getting a good portion of the show today? Who, good for them. Who basically, well, look, you know, it, it's funny. I despise the UConn men. I love the UConn girls. How about that? I root for them all the time. But they have fallen on for them hard times as they don't even make it uh, to the Elite Eight. They get knocked off uh, in the Sweet 16. And for the first time in forever, they don't go to the Final Four for the first time in forever. And they look mediocre for them as they couldn't get the ball up the court against the Ohio State Press. And Gino, I don't know if he's you know, taking the Bayheim route, but you know, his team is not playing like they're very well coached. Missing free throws, 25 turnovers yeah, it was ugly. against Ohio State. It was ugly. They could not get the ball across, across half court. They could not. And it wasn't like, you know, it was an in-your-face, woman-to-woman press. It was his own press. Yeah. It's his own trap, and they were confounded by it. I'm like, Gino, what are we doing? You know, did, did we coach them? You know, did, did we watch any film? And, you know, he's saying we didn't play very well, we didn't coach very well. But it, it almost looks like, and look, he's, he's you know, in mean, Pat Summit, they're the all-time two in, in women's NCAA basketball, but it almost looks like Gino's mailing in right now. Right. And I never thought I'd see that. Did, did you find, did she win four? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately for Brianna Stewart, a very disappointing career and only getting three consensus college national player of the years from 2014, only, to 2016. However, she was the tournament MOP for four times along with winning four straight national championships. And, yeah. I mean, how about that? And remember, remember, they called Brianna Stewart uh, the female Larry Bird. Goodness. Because she was a brilliant, brilliant player, and she's a great pro. So I, I'm, you know, I am not going to be ca- you know, caught in the moment with Caitlin Clark. And don't get me wrong, she's fabulous. I can't wait to see her play in this tournament in the Final Four. Uh, you know, in how will she handle the pressure um, of taking Iowa to the final four for the first time on the grand stage against uh, uh, the team that hasn't lost yet. And Don Staley and Aliyah boss, you know, did, just, just another re- game. Refresh my recollection. They did lose a game last year, correct? Yes. Okay. What was their record last year? I should know this, but I don't. Obviously they won the national title. South Carolina's going for two straight. They're undefeated this year. Dawn Staley now is atop the heap in women's college basketball. So they are there. Um, what were they last year? They lose they lose a couple or they just lose one? Last year, let us load this to see how they fared. 
lot and, of, and of W's. Course, they lost to Missouri on December 30th in overtime, 70 to 69. And then on March 6th, they lost to Kentucky by two points. Okay, so they've lost two games in the last two seasons. They're the odds on favorite. They are pretty much going into this tournament the way Connecticut used to. Yeah, no question. It will be a shocker if they lose. They're an 11 but point favorite. What you are seeing in women's basketball, because we you know, we used to say there were you know, there were two, there were three teams, two teams, Connecticut, Tennessee, Connecticut, Notre Dame, Connecticut, Stanford, Connecticut, Texas. Uh, now you are seeing more upsets: Stanford losing early, UConn losing early, and then of course you have the electric Kim Mulkey, dressed to the nines. Uh, as nines might nines. I don't know is the number dressed a lot of people would use, but she, she's dressed all right. Yes, dressed to the twos. Yeah. The pink flamingo outfit because she's worth she's worth the price of admission. Just Absolutely. put her behind a microphone. You never know what she's going to say. Um, and there she's now there with her second team because obviously she took Baylor there and won it with Baylor, so she's taking LSU there. But the big story is Caitlin Clark against Dawn Staley's undefeated. I, I hate to use the term. Uh, I won't say rough. I'll say tough and rugged. You know, but the South Carolina girls, they are physical. And, and old, the with that. another old team. Nothing to matter with that. Uh, but they play a very physical brand of women's basketball. I'm sure they will against Caitlin Clark. How will the game be called? And you know they are they, they wear you down with their size and their yep. strength and their depth and that they're if you can't rebound against South Carolina you have no chance. They will they may not shoot the lights out but they'll get enough shots to beat you and beat you down. Can Caitlin Clark and the Magic Carpet ride continue? She will have to have a fabulous game, and they will have to take care of the basketball against the South Carolina pressure. I'd love to see her do it. Can't wait to watch it. It's going to be exciting because she is uh, you know, an, an electric player, to say the least. So we'll see what happens. Um, but you know, women's basketball is, I don't say taking center stage, but they certainly are bringing a lot of eyes to the television set. And I think it's great because I have been a huge fan of girls' hoops since I was in high school when you know it was a big deal where I was from. I've always watched the girls. Um, and I was in a distinct minority, and I'm not anymore, and I think it's great. It's been great. They've got enough personalities to go around, and as you mentioned, we're getting farther and farther away to, well, it's UConn and everybody else. Now people have chances. Of course, Don would like to maybe put a wrinkle in that and say we hope that it's South Carolina and everybody else for many years to come. So it'll be exciting to see that happen. And you just hope, if anything, Caitlin Clark just plays her normal basketball and maybe a little bit above average, you'd hate for her to have like a terrible shooting night then. And it could the happen just because thing, of how South Carolina plays. No question. The, the last thing anybody wants to see, with the exception of probably South Carolina fans and Dawn Staley, is that she goes out and you know, goes five for 28. Right. One of those types of games. It could happen. And it could be because of South Carolina being them. Their defense is great. That might just be that, or it could just be a bad night. But you'd rather see South Carolina pulls away in the second half. She gets taken out of the game, and she's got like 42 points, and they lose by 12 or something along the lines of that, where at least you say, well, they gave them everything they had. South Carolina is just this good. That's all. She is also a fabulous passer. Incredible. She has terrific vision. Uh, she will turn it over. Now, sometimes her turnovers are because she makes passes that her teammates aren't ready for or they're not, uh, then, you know, her, her passes have got some, they, they got some mustard on them. So you got to be ready because she will fire it and she will fire it 40 feet, 50 feet across court from one wing to the other, from wing to corner. Uh, she'll make the diagonal pass. She'll make the bounce pass. She's got game. She is fun to watch and she will do step backs from 28, 30 feet. People don't realize how strong you have to be 
to shoot a basketball from that far away. It's a long way. And to do it, it like that, it effortlessly. Doesn't that, it doesn't look that far on TV, and the line is not that far away. Right. But she's eight, nine feet behind the line. She does it just like a normal shot. So when you're sitting at home, you think, oh, okay. <laughs> it's not it's not that. Nobody go does this. Dri- go out in the driveway and step that off. Go out in the driveway. And- go stand on the street <laughs> when you're shooting at your driveway. If, Keep if going. Got, if, go to the neighbor's if you have, house. If, you, if, I don't know, if your driveway's long enough, go to the end. If not, get in the middle of your street. Get on the grass. And, Keep try going. And snap, try and snap that baby off after you do a couple quick dribbles between your legs, take a step back and turn it loose. Yeah. Set a chair up, go around that. Like somebody's setting a screen for you and just shoot it off one leg. See how that goes for you a couple times. Goodness. So it begs to say the final four on the women's side should be some incredible games, LSU, Virginia tech, South Carolina, and Iowa names that you don't usually see there, but teams that are more than deserving to be there. So it's been great for both sides where there's some excitement with inquisitiveness. Who are these teams? And of course, and of course we want to check out the Kim Mulkey outfit. You have to. And and and, and the Kim Mulkey post game. You have to. Everything. And the in-game interviews, I'm sure Holly Rowe will be there asking her something and see how she responds to that, depending on how the game's going. We've got entertainment. That's what it is. She embraces it as best as you can. So you can't say anything. And it's Debbie Antonelli said this either before she got hired or right after where it's an investment that you're making for her second year head coach at LSU going to the final four. She's back. Incredible. What some of these people can do as coach. We're running out of time as we always are, but we have to update everyone and give a quick thought on how things are faring in the West of the national basketball association. Since both of us are Lakers fans, it's been a pins and needles season really, but now getting to the end of it where the slimmest of margins for teams four through 12, (laughs) maybe 13, the way the West is going to be one to not use cheap movie puns is incredible with the Suns at 10 and a half games back at first with the nuggets, which isn't what they're going for. It's the teams behind them because the Clippers are as of now half game back golden state, a game and a half, the Timberwolves, two and a half, the Lakers, three, the Pelicans, three, the Thunder, three and a half, the Mavs, four, the Jazz, four and a half. Everybody's right there trying to at least get into the play-in game. As we record this now, it appears mostly the Lakers are healthy. They're still missing Mo Bamba, sprained ankle. I haven't really heard much about him coming back to be a big person down low for them. But the stars, of course, are back healthy. LeBron hurt his foot and then got some opinions that he was supposed to maybe get surgery and be out for the rest of the season. And he went to the LeBron James foot doctor or some joke that he made about how he his foot healed faster than doctors had ever seen before. I guess he's a superhero that we, we haven't learned about. But he's back for now. He's okay. Anthony Davis, still okay. You just keep your fingers crossed for that and have everybody else fill in the blanks. I mean, it's hard to even ask the question, how do you expect this to play out? Because it's going to change every day. Whereas a fan, like there's some people on Lakers Twitter that put, here's what you root for today as a Lakers fan. And it'll be Lakers win. I've been doing it. (laughs) All right. Who do we need to lose? Who needs to win? Who needs to lose? Now you're looking around the whole league to see who, what else needs to happen to help your team out. It's incredible how this is happening for these handful of teams. I mean, there's the same argument that could be said. It's obviously happening in the East as well, but all eyes are now on the West and seeing how this is going to play out. It's been wild. Pels are in, in, in good shape. Uh, meanwhile, the Mavs and of course, <laughs> Kyrie Irving have fallen apart and the Lakers are, are right there. Huge game with the T-Wolves uh, coming up tomorrow night in Minnesota. Then the road trip continues for them uh, as they play you know, at Houston and uh, at Utah and at 
Let's see, what's the other one on this trip to finish it off? They're in Houston, they're in Utah, they're in Minnesota. They just won in Chicago. There's one more, and I'm drawing Minnesota, Houston, and then they're at Utah and at the Clippers. At the Clippers. Well, the Clippers are home. Yeah. In the same building. Correct. And they never be and they never beat the Clippers. Correct. So you hope, we hope, somehow, some way, they can win the next three to get to forty one and thirty-eight. If they lose to the clip joint, that's 41 and 39. And then can they win the last two? Which Matt and LeBron James finally play in a game together. A streak that's been unlike any other. What are we on? Five or six years where they've just right. missed so each like other they, every time. They, they, I think they finish at home with Phoenix and Jazz again. They have Oklahoma City again in there or not? No, that's it. Phoenix and Utah okay. in the season. Right. And. Uh, now they could go. They could go forty-three and thirty-nine. That would require them to go five and one. That's doable, but it's got to start by winning the first one. And part of their problem is, you know, it's been two steps forward. Now they're at the stage where they're going two steps forward and two steps back <laughs> instead of two steps forward and three steps back. But you know, Anthony Davis will go for thirty-eight and ten, and then turn around and take ten shots. And it's not all, you know, he gets ripped to shreds. Where are you? What are you doing? But he, one thing Anthony, Anthony Davis is not a gunner. And part of the problem sometimes is we want Anthony Davis to be more selfish. And the Laker problem is they don't go to him enough. They don't put him down low. They have him on, you know, I don't understand why he's away from the basket so much when they're running their offense. Uh, if If it's for pick and roll, okay. I want him in the post much more than he has been in these games where, you know, he's going six for eight, five for 10. Anthony Davis got to be taking 18 shots a game. If he takes 18 shots to the game, he's going to get the foul line 10 times. You know, he can't be taking eight shots, 10 shots, unless it's in one of those blowouts where they just, hit on all eight cylinders and everybody's knocking down threes and you have one of those games, but those are rare. And now everyone is playing for their playoff lives and positioning. So these games with the exception of the Houston game for everybody else, they play are huge. And probably with the exception of the Utah game, because it looks like right now, uh, despite the fact that, uh, Taylor Horton Tucker had his second 40-point game the other night. It looks like Utah may be out of the mix for the play-in by the time the Lakers play them. But you never know the way it's gone. Uh, you know, somebody can turn around and win three straight, and they're right, back, they're right back in it. But no excuses anymore for the Lakers. Everybody's healthy. Everybody's, everybody's rolling. Uh, D'Angelo Russell is you know, back after short absence. He's huge. Reeves, who they inserted in the starting lineup, has been playing terrific. Um, I was kind of surprised they made that move, but it's paid off so far. It's probably been the best thing Darvin Ham has done during a season in which he's made a lot of questionable decisions with his bench, with his strategy. Uh, but now he's got everybody back, with the exception of Bombo. And that really doesn't hurt him in the West. Not having Mobamba hurts you against the East because the East is bigger and stronger and more physical, and there's more depth in the middle than there is in the West. So it's right there for them. We'll see what they, you know, we'll see what LeBron's got in the tank. You know, he's certainly well rested. And if AD can continue to play at this level, he's the fourth best center in the league. It doesn't sound like it's that, that that's that great, but the other three are going to be one, two, three in the MVP. He's not as physically dominant as those three guys because he's simply not as big as those three guys. But from a skill set standpoint, he's right there with any one of them. And he still has more 35, 15-point games than anybody in the league. 
and that includes that big three. More 35 and 15 point, 35 or plus and 15 or plus rebound games than anybody in the league in, you know, probably about 15 less games, 12 to 15 less games than the big three. The problem is that some games, you know, he has 10, 12, 14, because he's only taken six, eight shots, five, six, eight shots, which can't be the case. We'll see. I'm fired up. I'm anxious for tomorrow night. Minnesota's been playing really, really well. They did lose a tough game the other night in Golden State, which was one we we, we were rooting for that to happen, and it did. And you look around and you see the schedule, and it's just exactly the way you said, well, somebody's got to lose that game, somebody's got to lose that game, somebody's got to lose that game. As long as somebody loses, which they have to, it helps us. Right. But now you really have to analyze it and take a really close look and say, okay, which one of these teams do I want to lose? Um, And that's where we're at. And you know, it's just win, baby, for the Lakers. You're lucky to be in this position after how some of the things have gone throughout the season, and just do it. Yeah, we discussed it before we started the show in our uh, in our pre-show sit-down uh, that they have lost, and I'm not going to name them all because you don't expect to win them all. You know, for example, you know the first game they lost in Philly. Okay, AD didn't make both free throws that would have put the game away. But remember, they were down 10 with a minute to go. And Philly just handed the game over to them. Turnover after turnover after turnover after turnover. So they never even should have had the chance to win that game, which they ultimately lost in overtime. But the Celtic games, both Celtic games, both the, the game in Boston with the hideous ending with the and one with Jalen Brown underneath where you know, the referee doesn't call and it started back down the court and then nobody, and then he raises his hand and, and calls the foul on Pat Bev and the unfathomable no call on LeBron when he gets hammered, you know, going to the rack, right? The official staring right at it when Tatum, that's the one you must call. Contrary to the San Diego State call, that's the one you must call when the guy gets raked across the wrist going for a layup in a game where you have called a ton of stuff. That game, that that's clearly one. You know, the two Dallas games we talked about where uh, he doesn't foul up three and lets Luca just waltz into a three instead of fouling. And the last game against Dallas where they've got the game put away, a four-point lead in the ball, and Russell takes a really a mindless three you know they score ad gets fouled um excuse me ad fouls klima a kleba on a, a desperation three three free throws which is a terrible foul he gets fouled he only makes one and then he leaves kleba alone for the game winning three that's a giveaway uh, a couple other buzzer beating threes indiana you take just take the three or four games that they gave away or got incredibly hosed on by the officiating, which included one of the other Dallas games, and they're 42 and 34. And they are, you know, a four seed. I think 42 and 34 are measuring the four seed. Either way, bottom line is. It's 38 and 38 because you didn't take care of business in those games. You got sloppy. Uh, your coach did a horrible job. And this is why you have to do what you have to do. Every one of these games matters, and it matters big time. You, know, you lost to Minnesota. You lost a tough game to Utah. You lost to all these teams, which AD talked about the other night. said, hey, it's time to get back against these teams. You know, we lost against Minnesota. We lost against Utah. We lost against Houston in Houston. Get back time. Win them all. Except for the Clippers, of course, who they never beat. Right. It's going to be exciting. And one, go 5 and 1, 43 and 39, 16. Why the hell not? It's like, and as we said in pre-show prep, 
they do have the tiebreaker with the Warriors. So if they are both 43 and 39, the Lakers get the nod. We shall see. One game at a time. Next week, we will have a national champion in college base, college baseball, in college basketball, in Major League Baseball. We'll tell you who will win in each division, and I'm sure we'll be 100% right in our predictions for this year, as we always are. And maybe we'll know if Aaron Rodgers is, in fact, a Jet, and maybe we'll have an idea as the saga continues as we follow the bouncing Lamar Jackson from tweet to tweet. From moronic statement to moronic statement, as you know, he continues to turn this into a complete dog and pony show. And I don't want to say make a fool of himself because you know he's my quarterback and I love him, but he has turned this into a long and winding road, and he is not handled it well. It's as simple as that. He has not played this hand well at all in my mind i say that as a raven fan as a fan of the player and an understanding of both sides as an attorney and the collective bargaining process and the free agency process i do believe he's botched this six different ways to tuesday that's how you tease the show folks al it's always a pleasure we'll do it again next week Folks, for my partner, the great John Tiny Lund, until next week, I am Al Renato, a.k.a. Al from White Plains. Enjoy the Final Four and have a great sports weekend, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.